Curtis Lewa. Curtis Lewa. Rip and Reed. Check this out. This is the Rip and Reed featuring Curtis Lewa. Talking about now. To the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This is the Rippin' Reed. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Oh, so good. So good. Well, when baseball was on national pastime. It's now Smash Mouth American football, not that football they spell with a U. Kickball, kickball, soccer, no. But back then, it was our national pastime, and I was really taken back this morning. As I appear with Sid Rosenberg every morning at 7.05 Monday through Fridays. And as you know, he's a sportsmeister, I'm a sportsmeister, but I said to myself, I had to hold my back when I heard him say, I did not watch one second, not one second of baseball last night. The home run hitting contest, to me, is the worst TV you can watch. It's worse than MSNBC, CNN, and Newsmax combined. It's awful. It's horrible TV. It always has been. I agree. But I tried to take him back on the time machine, and then I realized that he wasn't even birthed, Lou. He wasn't even birthed, Justin. I took him back to the original Home Run Derby, the best show of all time. 26 episodes, 1960, and I watched each and every one. From the wonderful world of sports, we bring you Home Run Derby, where each week, the leading home run hitters of the major leagues will compete in a home run hitting contest. You'll meet such stars as Duke Schneider, Eddie Matthews, Rocky Colavito, Mickey Mantle, Harmon Killebrew, Jim Lemon, Willie Mays, Jackie Jensen, and many others. That's so good. It was filmed at Wrigley Field, but no, 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 Lou, not Wrigley Field in Chicago, north side of Chicago with the ivy uh, fence out there, the ivy wall. No, 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 no. This was Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, 340 down both the left field and right field lines, uh, meaning that a left-handed or right-handed hitter and home run derby did not have any advantage over one another. And you know what episode one was? And I told this to Sid, and I said, you got to go back, ESPN2, any of the old-time sports shows. The first home run derby was between, oh, my God, I'm thinking back right now. It was the greatest program of all time, Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays. Hi there, everybody. I'm Mark Scott saying welcome to Home Run Derby. This week we have two of the greatest stars in all of baseball, that fence-busting switch hitter, Mickey Mantle, 
and the wondrous Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays. Let's meet them, shall we? And then the announcer who had that classic voice, Mark Scott, had both them side-by-side with him at home plate, and they discussed the coming contest between two of the greatest baseball players of all time. How are you going to hit today? I'm going to hit right-handed today, Mark. Is that your best power? Well, most all of my real long home runs have been from the right-hand side of the plate. Well, that settles that. Willie, come on in. Welcome to Home Run Derby. Thank you, Mark. Willie, uh, you can only hit one way. You're right-handed. Uh, will it make any difference whether the pitcher is right-handed or left-handed? No, it doesn't, Mark. Uh, when I'm hitting good, I hit like it anybody. Righty or lefty. He could hit anybody as he would play stickball with the kids outside of the polo grounds on the Manhattan side of the Harlem River while Mickey Mantle was at the old Yankee Stadium on the Bronx side. And remember, he was the classic switch hitter, but he always hit him further righty. And then the announcer lists the prize money. You probably want to know what the prizes are. The winner, the one who gets the greatest number of home runs, gets $2,000. The loser has the consolation prize of $1,000. But as an additional bonus, if you hit three consecutive balls out of the ballpark in fair territory... It will be worth $500 to either one of you. Now, if you get the fourth one in a row, it's another $500. For every additional home run that you hit after that, an additional $1,000. Now, you'd say to yourself, well, that's not a lot of money. In today's terms, you're correct. But remember, in 1960, Mickey Mantle and William Mays are making $100,000 a year. You take away the taxes. They're not getting money to sign autographs uh, as the ancillary money would be. In fact, oftentimes, even stars like Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle would have to work a job off-season. So that was a lot of money. And, in fact, Willie Mays, at one point in this contest in the nine innings, in the third inning, told the announcer, Mark Scott, would you please keep your voice down? I'm concentrating. I want to get that $500 prize. So Mark Scott had to be like uh, Chris Schenkel, remember, or the Professional Bowlers Association and the PBA, the golf tournament, you know, very quietly. That's right, Willie Mays looking at the pitch, very quiet. Anybody who knows Willie Mays, I met him one time up in Riverdale where he lived in the Bronx, and the guy always had a scowl on his face, and he had alligator arms, and he was always bitter. He hadn't been paid enough money. Likewise, Mickey Mantle, who was a drunk, that was my hero, but he was a lush and a nasty guy. And apparently Joe DiMaggio was somewhat similar, although I never met Mr. Coffee Man, uh, uh, the Bowery Savings Bank idol, but apparently he was nasty too. So here it is. Willie Mays' first at-bat, Lou. Here we are at the top of the first inning. Willie Mays at bat. Line drive out into left field, and it is... Over the wall, and it's one to nothing. Mays out in front. High pop-up. Out of play. That'll be one out. Line drive into left center field. It's going, gone over the left field wall for another homer. And Mays out in front now by a score of two to nothing. That's a ground ball. That's no good. It's an out. High fly ball into right center field. This may go all the way. It's way back there and gone into the right center field bleachers. Three to nothing. Willie Mays out in front. Gonna have your work cut out for you, Mickey. High fly ball into left field. This may go all the way. It's way back. Way back, and it is gone over the left field wall at the 345-foot mark. It's now four to nothing with Mays out in front. 
Woody now has two in a row. The third one here in succession will be $500. And that's when he told Mark Scott to please, quiet. Ha! I got to tell well, you, I got to tell you, I'm looking and I'm saying to myself, I'm a kid now, only six years old. I'm watching this in my Uncle Steve and Aunt Mary's house in Ohio Beach. He was a Detroit Lion fan. Excuse me, Detroit Tiger fan. He's waiting for Al Kaline later on in the series to appear. Al Kaline, who went to high school in Baltimore, went right to the Tigers. Uh, like Ed Cranepool, went right from high school, uh, Monroe High School in the Bronx to the Mets. Like Rocky Calavito, left Roosevelt High School in the Bronx halfway in high school and ended up playing for the Cleveland Indians. So a totally different era. And I was looking at Mickey Manolou, and I noticed that he was like, he was recovering from uh, being drunk the night before. His first few innings up, he's missing the ball. He's grounding out. He's not even flying out. Hey, Mick, come on, man. Get out of that drunken stupor of yours. He wasn't saying anything. And then finally, Mantle ties it up at home run derby in the eighth inning. Well, uh, it seems to me that I had a little bit more confidence in you than you had when you said it wasn't your day a while ago, Mickey. Well, it's still not nowadays yet. I've got to get one more. You feel better, though, now? I feel a lot better now. I'm not embarrassed now, anyway. Yeah, he had like eight cups of coffee, man. He had to sober up. He was down in the first inning, four home runs to nothing. And he was swinging and missing and grounding out and fouling it off. And, I mean, he caffeinated up and sobered up so that by the time he reached the last half of the eighth inning, he was now tied with Willie Mays, eight home runs to eight home runs. Now, tell me, even Justin Ellick has to admit the first time you saw it. Jesse, get on the microphone, please. Was this not the greatest home run derby that you've ever seen? I mean, admit it. I had a blast watching it. I really you, did. you got to let Sid know, don't give up the old-time real home run derby. And then finally, in the ninth inning, Mickey Mantle up last. He's run off to the bathroom like nine times from all the coffee he had to drink in order to sober up. It's 8-8. Eight, eight. Willie Mays, the look on his face, like, I'm going to lose this money. I mean, this guy had alligator arms. And then there it goes. Well, Mickey's coming up with a chance to pick up the marbles. The marbles, in this case, $2,000 for the winner. $1,000 to the loser. The tension mounts. High fly ball deep to left field. This may be it. It's way back there, and it is gone. And Mickey Mantle wins it 9-8. Oh, my God, and Willie Mays had the worst look on his face. Like, he had lost his best friend, his house, his gun. I don't know if he had a gun. Uh, his uh, coveted uh, basket catch. Oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never really seen Home Run Derby, it was a weekly show, 26 episodes. In fact, uh, Mickey Mantle went on to beat in the second uh, game Ernie Anastas. I call Ernie Anastas the Sunshine Kid. It was actually Ernie Bank of the Cubs. Then in the third game, he beat Jackie Jensen of the Red Sox. But in the fourth home run derby, he lost to the guy from Idaho who used to pick eight potatoes out of the dirt at one time. Harmon Killebrew of the Minnesota Twins, who when he played in Yankee Stadium, would hit him back past the monument circle there. You got to, I, I think it was on ESPN too. You got to look at these classic 
home run derby shows. The very best. Look, Justin Ellick of A New Generation. He does his own sports podcast here with his partner. He loves it. I got to introduce it to Sid. He wasn't even born yet. And those of you who are baby boomers, you know how good home run derby was. This is the Riffin' Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Slashings on subways and track queens in classrooms. Urine on sidewalks, the bike lane is your doom. Boarded up stores and political spins. These are a few of Mayor Adams' things. Busted up crackheads and taxes on noodles. Hotheads and smokers with dank infused pre-rolls. Innocent migrants with big smiles and grins. These are a few of Mayor Adams' things. Taxes and garbage and blogging and stabbings. Snowflakes that stay on the streets while you're blabbing. Sniveling scumbags who find cars to ding. These are a few of Mayor Adams' things. When the rent's tight, when the tax spikes, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember Mayor Adams' things, and then I don't feel so good. Bravo, 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 fortissimo. Tony Award nominee, Tony Award nominee. Sung by uh, Chris Libertini. He is our imaging director here at WABC. Lisa Orban, our sales executive. And this entire piece, even though I don't know if we can mention this, Justin Ellick, since the writers are still on strike, uh, these guys are definitely scabs. Dan Herschel, our chief engineer, writer. Chris Libertini, our director of imaging. And Chris Bavona, head of the deep state here at WABC. Bravo, bravo, fortissimo. And this is all the result of the craziness of Eric Adams of late. He's given us so much material to do these great parodies. I mean, in the beginning, it was Pivot and Schiff. It was Swagger Man with no plan, okay? But there's been a plethora of opportunities now that have stimulated the creativity of the very individuals of ours who work together with Sid Rosenberg in the morning, who debuted this parody, uh, this song. And actually, uh, I always pimp off uh, Sid's ride in the rip and read. That is great. Now, I'm introducing a new segment here for the very first time. Lou, don't take offense. Because you are a McWhitey Whitey Justin, don't take offense, because you're a cracker boy. Uh, but I feel that I, I, I need to have a new segment here as part of Rip and Read. White people are stupid. That's right. The white people are stupid segment because we listen to things and it's assumed that our complexion is not our protection, that we're just supposed to suck it up. We're not supposed to criticize. We're not supposed to say, hey, that's crazy or that's corrupt. And it all started after the general election campaign that I had with Eric Adams. I lost fair and square. And then all of a sudden released once he had been inaugurated in January 1st of 2022. As you remember, he said he knew that 30 years before because God had told him he would be. Uh in which he 
was quoted as saying that those cops that he worked with were 22 years when he was a house mouse in the precincts and they were active busting their shoes. They were all crackers. Every day in the police department, I kicked those crackers ass, man. I was unbelievable. Now, white people got to be stupid because they basically sucked it up and they say, well, you know, what the hell? That was then. This is now. Let's let's uh, let's be bygones be bygones. Okay, but it's just progressively gotten worse. Because yesterday, for the first time in a week, the mayor of the city of New York, Eric Adams, took questions uh, from the media, from the reporters who worked down at City Hall Room 9, who are predominantly white. And he always takes offense to that because they have to do their job. It's like Noam Laden. He's uh, the ultimate McWhitey whitey guy. He's our news director, James Flippin. Uh, he's as white as Ivory Snow. It just happens the preponderance of reporters are white. So this is Eric Adams' attitude. I'm a black man. That's the mayor. But my story has been interpreted by people that don't look like me. We got to be honest about that. How many blacks are in the editorial boards? How many blacks are determined how these stories are being written? And so all of a sudden, the white reporters back off. They're intimidated. Let's face it, they're bullied. And then when he really gets rambunctious and he throws out this Kunte Kinte routine, wow, they run for cover. People can say what they want. There are those in society that still long to see me stop saying Kunte Kinte and they want me to say Toby. And it's uncomfortable for them. So you can whip me as much as you want. But when you take off my shirt, you'll see the scars are already done. You know, I've gotten beaten enough that I can't be beaten again. I came into government saying Kute Kente. I'm leaving government saying Kute Kente. And if you don't know who he is, go see Roots. And he drops the mic like he's a rapper, like he's an MC, right? Ha! Now, if, if that were me, Lou, I'm a white reporter, I would have said, could you take your shirt off now? Could you show me the scars that you couldn't take Kente, right? I mean, they, they, that should have been the question. This guy's crazy. But these white reporters, they won't ask what is a common sense question, particularly since he's now repeated this twice in two different appearances at large black churches, the most recent one, A.R. Bernard, who broadcast with Rabbi Joe Potasnik Sunday mornings from 7 to 8 at his mega church in Canarsie, in which he said exactly what he had said two weeks prior at the Lenox Road Black Baptist Church in Flatbush, that God talks to him. 30-something years ago, I woke up in my sleep, out of my sleep in a cold sweat. God spoke to my heart and said, you are going to be the mayor January 1st, 2022. And the message was clear. God stated, you cannot be silent. You must tell everyone you know. Because it's a Judges 7, verse 2 through 7 moment. Because when you win the battle, I don't want you to think that you won on your own. And I don't want people to think that you won because of you, who you are. You know, it sounds like God the Father talking to Jesus. I guess this is black Jesus. Now, again, nobody questioned him. Only Sid Rosenberg in the morning, yours truly, Curtis Lee. Finally, Peter King, Congressman Peter King, got off of the Eric Adams crazy train. 
Ryan Kilmeade questioned him, certainly Greg Kelly, uh, the mayor, the best mayor we ever had, Rudy Giuliani questioned him, uh, James Golden questioned him, Dominic Carter questioned him, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe Frank Morano at night that Mama Luke taught if he became black, maybe God would talk to him, who knows, but I mean, he's crazy, right? And yet the reporters stay quiet. They stay quiet. And then when he keeps saying over and over that he's waiting for the job of being mayor to get tough. And people have the audacity to say to me that being the mayor of the city of New York is the second most difficult job in politics. You know what I tell them? I tell them, when does the hard part start? And he's screaming and yelling like a crazy man. Like. You don't think that job of being mayor is hard? Every day, decisions have to be made, life and death decisions. It's a hard job. Until Bill de Blasio, it was considered the second toughest job in America, second toughest only to being president of the United States. And then Bill de Blasio destroyed that, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who slept half the day and then was smoking Maui Waui Hindu Kush with his wife Charlene on the back porch of Gracie Mansion, stealing $1.5 billion from a Fugazi program thrive that was supposed to help emotionally disturbed persons and never help one. And then Eric Adams decided to talk about picking cotton, something I can assure you he has never done. If we just look at his $5,000 customized suits every day he wears, uh, you may ask, where did he get the money for it? Well, his Medici, Frank Carone, who was his fundraiser during his first run, then became his chief of staff. Now he's a lobbyist getting wine dined in pocket line because of his, and he is now the campaign manager raising money for his reelection. <laughs> Gave him $350,000. In cash to buy all these suits. Go ahead, deny it, Frank. Go ahead, deny it, right? It's all silk, it's not cotton. And then this is what the mayor had to say. Let me tell you what hard is. Hard is picking cotton from sunup to sundown, giving birth on the field, and going back to pick cotton some more. This man is crazy. The only cotton Eric Adams has ever picked out of is that Bottle of Advil or that bottle of anison or bufflin or whatever when you take that little bit of cotton out and then you get the aspirin or the bufflin or the Advil that you wanted. Then all of a sudden he has decided to put himself on a mantle as if he is a representative of what every black man in America should be, just like him. The symbol of black manhood in this city, in this country, and what it represents. I'm the mayor of the most powerful city on the globe, and people need to recognize that. Well, well you you think we're going to buck and bow to you? You think we're going to say, "Oh, you're absolutely right. You're the Mashiach. You're the black Messiah, the black Jesus, the black Mashiach." Never going to happen. And then you make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I've certainly made more than my fair share. Those of you listening out there, how many mistakes do you make just within the course of a day? You, you, you mess up, you fess up. That's the way it is in life. You mess up, you fess up. Whether it's to your family, whether it's to the people you work with, or you as an employer, the people you hire, 
friends, whatever. You mess up, you fess up. But not Eric Adams. You remember that town hall meeting to this day? He still has not apologized. When he read the riot act to an 84-year-old white elderly Jewish woman who luckily was able to escape the Holocaust in Auschwitz. She was weeks away of being whisked into there by the Nazis with her family. Luckily, they they decided to flee from Germany, and they ended up here in New York City. Remember how he screamed at her as if she were a slave owner on a plantation? Okay, first, if you're going to ask a question, don't point at me and don't be disrespectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city. And treat me with the respect I would I deserve to be treated. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you treated someone that's on the plantation that you own. Give me the respect I deserve and engage in a conversation up here in Washington Heights. Treat me with the same level of respect I treat you. So don't be pointing at me. Don't be disrespectful to me. Speak with me as an adult because I'm a grown man. I walked into this room as a grown man, and I'm going to walk out of this room as a grown man. I answered your question. Imagine if a white mayor had said that to an elderly black woman, similar to her situation. Uh, he better have apologized, whatever the, whoever that white mayor is. And I'm still stunned here. Uh, you just had an advisory board put together of all the biggest Jewish markers in the city, led by our own Rabbi Joe Potasnik, who's supposed to advise the mayor, right? He said it's never been done before. Did they actually advise him to apologize to that woman? Want to bet none of them did. Want to bet none of them did. Why? Because Eric Adams' complexion is his protection. And then the issue of the illegal aliens. By the way, he announced earlier today he's opening up two more shelters for the illegal aliens. We're busting at the seams. We can't afford it, and yet he keeps playing uh, as if he's their Papa Chulo. He's proud of the fact that he's brought, he claims, 81,000, and I say it's over 100,000. You are watching 81,000. Thousand people coming to this city and not like other cities. They're not sleeping on the streets with no help on the federal level. You are watching an incompetent person turning a competent place in a city to live in. This is what we need to recognize. I do. I recognize you're incompetent. You said it perfectly, just like uh, the Biden of Brooklyn you are. You're incompetent. Could I hit that one more time, Lou, because he said it, we didn't, but he was speaking truth to power on this. You are watching 81,000 people coming to this city, and not like other cities, they're not sleeping on the streets with no help on the federal level. You are watching an incompetent person turning a competent place in a city to live in. This is what we need to recognize. Crazy person, right? (laughs) But no, Reverend A.R. Bernard, uh, as Eric Adams is finished, drops the mic and walks off the stage before 5,000 parishioners enabled him. Listen. And what he said is absolutely right. So there was a man sent from God whose name was Eric Adams. And you just heard him speak. Amen. Let's give God some love and appreciation for the mayor's willingness to be so identified with his faith and God as his guide. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. God sent Eric Adams, right, Reverend Bernard? Can you cite the scripture in the passage? Why, 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 why are you enabling a crazy person? And then he goes from Reverend Ahar Bernard to Funk, <laughs> Funk Master Flex on Hot 97. More drugs, more drive-bys, more gang-banging, more violence. Last night at 7 o'clock, and listen to Eric Adams uh, with the Funk Master Flex. All right, I'm here with the mayor. They know what it is? They see us. We classic car guys, too. That's right. <laughs> mayor, what's your favorite radio station? WBLS Hot 97. You heard it. Don't play us close, bruh. You see us out here, Funk Flex and the mayor. And listen, y'all understand, when you see me in the big machine, I, the Hellcat Redder, and I get pulled over with the mayor, forget about the ticket. It's a wrap. Uh, Lou, in the mayor's appearances with Sid, didn't he say that Sid Rosenberg was his favorite show? Didn't he say that? Yep, yep, yep. That's why I am now labeling this segment. White people are stupid. Sid, you're a stupid sucker to believe a guy who before you and Bernard had him on at WABC where he said you guys were his favorite morning show, told the same thing, Power 105, the Charlemagne the God. I warned you. And then just last night, Funk Master Flex. On Hot 97, more drugs, more guns, more drive-bys, more gang-banging. He said his favorite radio station is WBLS and Hot 97. White people, stop being stupid. Check this out. It's the Riffin' Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is the Riffin' Read, featuring Curtis Lewa. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios, 77 WABC, and Curtis Lewa. Nelly sold his library of songs for $50 million. Guys, old school, North St. Louis, gangbang extraordinaire. But the reason we're playing his music coming in is, I think I'm one of the few people here at WABC who broadcasts who believes in global warming and climate change. I want to see green energy. I want to see Mother Earth cool off. Because look at these catastrophic floods that our own Gnome Laden has reported on in the Mid-Hudson Valley. The unrelenting heat dome over Phoenix. Ocean temperatures right off of Miami at 90 degrees. 
the deluge in Bernie Sanders, Vermont, where the ice cream was floated away from Ben and Jerry's and a tornado in Joe Biden land, Delaware. Look, a decade ago, any of these events, we would have seen as eh, one-off for an aberration. Now, they happen on a regular basis. Look, we had the smoke from the Canadian wildfires. They blanketed major American cities all throughout the northern part of the United States. The deadly heat wave in Texas, in Oklahoma, torrential rains in Chi-Town, and even then, Lou, with the torrential rains. There was still drive-by shooting, still gang-banging, still homicides being committed in the streets of Chi-Town. But let me tell you this, these climate disasters are becoming more commonplace. All of a sudden, I notice they don't have the shock value like they used to have. And many of you will listen all day long here at WABC, in which there are global warming and climate-changing deniers. Well, let's establish that I believe in global warming and climate change. I believe in green energy. But don't call me AOC all-out crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because those are fighting words. Stop.